The accusations against besieged Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore have reached sufficient fever pitch to attract blood-sucking harpy Gloria Allred. Brutal new testimony just this hour from an alleged victim. That said, Moore's attackers on the left have one intractable, desiccated, undead obstacle to their moralizing. Hillary Clinton, my third cousin once removed. We will analyze love in the time of fake news. Then, roaming millennial Amber Athey and Paul Bois, his eminence himself, join the panel of deplorables to discuss short, fat Kim Jong-un, why you should boycott Keurig, and a New York Times writer's passionate defense of racial segregation. The New York Times is a former newspaper now, a former newspaper tomorrow, a former newspaper forever. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. That Gloria Allred press conference came out about 20 minutes ago, came out as we were ready to go on air. There is a uh, woman who's now alleging that when she was 15, she was molested by Roy Moore. It was a sexual assault. There was nothing consensual about it. So this leaves Roy Moore with only one option. He has to come out as gay. He has to choose now to live as a gay man. We will have Christopher Plummer <laughs> replace him <laughs> as the Republican nominee in Alabama. That's I think that's the only way that we can handle this and still possibly win this seat. Plummer 2017, that's the way to do it. That There's your write-in campaign right there. Um, this all-red presser, if you haven't seen it, is savage. It is brutal. The, the Democrats have played this opposition research perfectly. Uh, with accusations that haven't come out for 40 years. They've just played it right up to the election. They've built up. They've let him bury himself. And this is really rough. The woman's name is Beverly Young Nelson. Uh, she says that when she was 15, she was a beauty pageant queen who was working at a diner. And Roy Moore would come in there. He was the DA for the county at the time. He would come in. He was always hitting on her, asking her to go out with him. She said no. One time he waited for her to leave the restaurant and uh, offered to give her a ride home because her boyfriend wasn't there. According to this woman, he drove her around back where there were no lights and made a move, tried to lock the door, fondled her. Eventually, she said no, fought back long enough that she fell out of the car. He pushed her out of the car and said, you're just a child. I'm the DA. No one will ever believe you. Your mother will never believe you. Uh, apparently, her sister uh, attests to this at the time, some friends. Uh, she and her husband, crucially, voted for Trump. So this is one point. She said, I'm willing to go under oath on this. This isn't a Republican-Democrat thing. I and my husband both, both voted for Trump. This is really, really bad, <laughs> much worse than the Washington Post story, much worse than unnamed women, some women on the record, some women off, alleging weird conduct when they were 16 or 17 or 18. This is brutal. It's graphic. It's going to be run on every TV in Alabama for the next few weeks. Mitch McConnell, by the way, before this press conference, had already called for Roy Moore to drop out of the race. The White House has backed off of Roy Moore. You'll remember Trump didn't endorse Roy Moore in the primary. He endorsed Luther Strange, the primary opponent. Here is Moore defending himself. Now, this clip is from before the Gloria Allred presser today, but I imagine he won't really change his tune very much. This is Roy Moore's defense. The Washington Post established, or published rather, yet another attack on my character and reputation in a desperate attempt to stop my political campaign for the United States Senate. These attacks involve a minor, and they are completely false and untrue. I want to make it clear to the media present and to the people present. 
I have not provided alcohol beverages, alcoholic beverages, beer, or anything else to a minor. I have not been guilty of sexual misconduct with anyone. I've been investigated more than any other person in this country. To think that grown women would wait 40 years to come before, right before an election, to bring charges is absolutely unbelievable. Why now? The Democrats and the Republican establishment know the importance of this election. In fact, most people in America know the importance of this election. They see it as a prelude to the elections coming in 2018. It may very well determine the future of our country. My opponent is 11 points behind. That came out just days before this article came out. They're desperate. This, is, this article is a prime example of fake news. Fake news. That's Roy Moore's story, and he's sticking to it. A decent enough defense. What else is he going to say? He can't cop to it. Then he loses the race. He can't drop out now. No one's going to win in his place. It'll just go to Democrats. So he's saying this is all fake news and don't worry about it. A much harder case to make now that we have a woman on the record who's apparently a Republican, apparently a Trump voter, who's coming out and making these accusations. Now, Gloria Allred is not the only blood-sucking harpy involved in all of this. There is one intractable problem for Democrats, and that is Hillary Clinton. So Chris Hayes, a stop clock is right twice a day. MSNBC Chris Hayes came out and tweeted this over the weekend, quote, as gross and cynical and hypocritical as the right's what about Bill Clinton stuff is, it's also true that Democrats and the center left are overdue for a real reckoning with the allegations against him. Read this account. He's talking about Juanita Broderick. In light of all we've been hearing and reading this last month and ask yourself if it is credible. Now, he's, he's talking about this accusation by a woman named Juanita Broderick that says that Bill Clinton raped her decades ago, and Hillary knew about it, and Hillary pressured her to keep quiet. And this has come out for years with the, with the Clintons. Now we have Democrats finally copping and saying, well, maybe that's the case. Why are they doing it? Might be true that they want to get Hillary out of here. They're pulling a Donna Brazile. They want to toss her under the bus, get rid of Hillary Clinton as fast as we can, move on to better pastures for 2020. But... If that's the case, it takes the wind out of their sails of all of their moralizing. They've been saying all weekend, how could you possibly not call for Roy Moore to get out of the race, to drop out, to go away? This was before the most recent accusations, when it was just a Washington Post story. How could you not? It's awful. We're the moral voice of America. But just a year ago, they tried to make a woman who pressured and intimidated and bullied and smeared her husband's alleged rape victims. They tried to make her president. So much for all that moralizing. Where's that high horse? Where was all that moralism a year ago when you were trying to make that woman who's accused of worse things when you were trying to make her president? Uh, you know, the guy I blame most in all of this, obviously we can go back and forth. The Clinton thing is a really nice tool at the rights disposable because we can say, well, look, folks, it, political races are complicated and, you know, there are more reasons than just accusations from 40 years ago to vote for a guy. Probably that argument's not going to hold anymore after the most recent presser and accusations, but we'll see what happens. The guy I blame most in all of this is Luther Strange, the primary opponent that Trump endorsed and, and the establishment endorsed in Alabama. He failed as a campaign. 
His campaign failed to dig up all of this dirt unless all of these accusations are totally fabricated. And again, I wouldn't put it past Democrats to totally fabricate accusations weeks before an election when you're down by double digits. But unless they are totally fabricated, Luther, Luther Strange blew it because he could have found all of this. I've been to meetings like this. You go to the other campaign, you say, we have this information. They say, okay, they decide whether or not to drop out. If they don't privately drop out, then you release the information, it goes public, and then you see what's happening to Roy Moore now, what have happened months ago. Uh, the, the strange campaign didn't do it. It's really frustrating. We might lose the Senate seat now. It looks like we're probably going to. Really, really awful. And all of this said, sex scandals are a hallmark of American politics. I think it were very, it's easy to say, well, now what has happened? Trump has reduced the nation to rubble, or Bill Clinton has reduced the nation to rubble, or now we have all these sex scandals, but it used to be so nice, and we'd court people, and it was hunky-dory and gentlemanly and chivalrous. Not true. They've been, <laughs> sex scandals have been a hallmark of American politics since the beginning. Alexander Hamilton, uh, Washington's aide-de-camp and the founder of the Treasury Department, uh, he cuckled at a man named James Reynolds in 1791. Uh, this came out. It damaged his political career. A mid-19th century South Carolina senator from the Nullifier Party had a gay relationship in college. Uh, and then he had a little dalliance, as he said, with his two teenage nieces. He couldn't run for re-election the next time, but he was re-elected to the Senate a few years later. Senator David Walsh, a Democrat from Massachusetts, visited gay Nazi brothels. In America, you can go to gay brothels, you can go to Nazi brothels. You cannot go to gay Nazi brothels. That's a step too far. Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas was thrice married, cheated on all of the wives, and molested airline stewardesses. There's nothing really new about all of this. Uh, that said, it's going to have uh, consequences, and this might have been the nail in the coffin for Mr. Moore. Now, I, we've got to analyze all of this. We have to bring on Roaming Millennial, with us since the beginning, Roaming Millennial, to give us expert advice, Amber Athey from The Daily Caller, and his eminence, the one and only Paul Cardinal Bois. Panel, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. Roaming, is Roy Moore finished? Um, I'm having a lot of trouble with this. I'm someone who thought it was extremely hypocritical when, during the election, Democrats turned a blind eye to Bill Clinton, and I also was someone who was very skeptical about a lot of the allegations that were coming out against Trump. With that being said, I'm trying to look at this fairly and objectively and not see more as a Republican, but rather just someone who's having all of these allegations against him that, you know, right now are hearsay, but, I mean, it's not just one person at this point. Um, I don't think... It's good for the Republican image if he stays in this race and if people continue to stand by him. Um, and, and this isn't to say that I think he's definitely guilty. I don't think we should abandon presumption of innocence just because this is a political matter. And, uh, you know, we're fighting for the elections in, in 2018. But at the same time, yeah, this doesn't look good. And for a lot of people, Republicans already have the image, whether it's true or not, I don't think it's true, of being soft on men who sexually harass and sexually abuse women. And I... I don't think Roy Moore is good for the party right now. That might be the case, but if he isn't guilty, then should we allow ourselves to be bullied by Gloria Allred? If he isn't guilty, I understand it says, well, it's easy, there are all these accusations, let's dump him under the bus. But what, what if he isn't guilty? Then doesn't that set a precedent for all campaigns? That said, no, it, it doesn't look good for Moore on, in this particular, but in the general if they're just unsubstantiated, if we don't have a lot of evidence, should we really automatically believe Gloria Allred and her clients? I don't believe these 
women without evidence. I think if you're making allegations against someone, it's up to you. You have burden of proof to substantiate your claims. But at the same time, if we are actually interested in pushing forward conservative principles through electing legislators, then people, including Roy Moore himself, need to realize that this looks bad. Now, I think the clip you mentioned that he was still, I think, 11 points ahead of his opponent. So maybe for Alabama voters, this isn't a big deal. But I think in all these elections, the candidates themselves often end up overlooking the point of this. The point of this is to get someone with conservative principles into office and to make people more willing in the future to vote for Republicans. This doesn't do that. Sure. Amber, I think a lot of people in the Republican side who are keeping mom on Roy Moore or who are even defending Roy Moore are saying, look, I don't care. I don't care about 40 years ago. I don't care about his personal life. I want more freedom and I want less tyranny and I want more of my own money and I want less government and I want conservative social policy and I don't want crazy revolutionary social policy and it's a razor thin majority in the Senate right now. Do you think that that argument holds water or do we have to hold this guy accountable if the accusations are at all credible and tell him, well, we're going to lose this race, but it's better than having someone who has committed these crimes in the Senate? Well, I don't think it would be very conservative to not hold people accountable for their crimes, considering how much we believe in due process and how we believe that the law applies equally to everyone, regardless of whether or not that person is in a position of power. And I think in this case, um, you know, it's it's important to note that these stories are very well sourced. The Washington Post piece um, noted that the woman who made these accusations had told their, their mothers and their sister at the time. And then the woman who just came out had this yearbook note. She had a, a photo of a yearbook note that Roy Moore apparently left her. Um, he signed it, love Roy Moore DA, and then he called her beautiful in it. And I know if my parents saw that type of message in a yearbook from a 30-year-old man when I was 15, 16 years old, they would go nuclear. I mean, gosh, my dad would probably be in prison by now. Um, so I think it's important to look at all of these accusations as a, as a whole and not just um, you know each part on their own. Mr. Bois, your eminence, should Roy Moore get out of the race? Uh, it's certainly looking like that. Uh, uh, last week when the allegations first broke, uh, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to give it a couple days, uh, see if the allegations uh, remain credible and if they hold up to scrutiny. I certainly wasn't uh, one to get quick in uh, with the Washington Post or even believe them uh, right off the bat, uh, but it very quickly is looking like the allegations are credible. Uh, the one that came forward today is even more credible, like Amber said, uh, the yearbook. Yeah, I think he, I think that Roy Moore is probably guilty of these. And I also have a friend of mine who I won't name uh, who's uh, dealt with Roy Moore uh, in the past previously, uh, said when she was 18 he gave her his personal uh, email address, uh, which she felt was a little bit inappropriate and odd at the time. So, you Give know me what? the email address. I want to get him on the show. Come on, pass it along, man. I'm not cute enough, and I'm not 18 uh, anymore. So, um, yeah, I, 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 he, he, I think he needs to drop out. 
When you've lost Paul Bois, you have lost, Paul Bois is slightly to the right of Genghis Khan and Attila the Hun, the Vox Dei himself. Really bad. Not looking good. He, he might have to finally call this thing quits. But we'll see. They're pretty tough down there in Alabama. Maybe he'll say, I got two words for you, Washington Post, and they're not happy birthday. Who knows? Uh, okay, we have a lot of news to get to. We have to get to the Democrats and New York Times' full-throated endorsement of segregation. We have to get to fake news from the New York Times, uh, 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 separate fake news from the New York Times, and we also have to get to the boycott Keurig campaign, not just because the coffee isn't good, but because we're defending Sean Hannity. Before all of that, I'm sorry, I know you guys want to definitely see more Amber and Roaming Millennial, and you'll tolerate more Paul Bois, but uh, unfortunately, unless you subscribe to The Daily Wire, you can't do that. So you have to go to thedailywire.com right now. And by the way, the reason to subscribe just today is tomorrow is The Conversation. Be sure to tune in. It's our next episode of The Conversation, Tuesday, November 14th. That's tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, featuring, you guessed it, little old me. The Conversation will stream live on The Daily Wire website, Facebook page, and YouTube channel. It will be free for everyone to watch, but only subscribers can ask the questions. So subscribe today. You get to ask me all of the most important questions. I'll give you my homemade covfefe recipe. There, there's a lot of information that you can get out of this. So uh, do that. Subscribe right now. Join the conversation. If you subscribe, it's 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. What do you get? You get me. You get the Andrew Clavin Show. You get the Ben Shapiro Show, yada, 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 yada. You get, folks the leftist tears tumbler. Now, this is a little bit of speculation here, but if it turns out that these Roy Moore accusations aren't true, if he stays in this race, you're, you're going to need to buy 25 Daily Wire subscriptions. You're gonna, it, it's going to be flooding everywhere. Already, just from Twitter and the New York Times, you'll, you'll have a steady supply, vintage 2017. But go over there right now. It is the most coveted, most cofefited tumbler for uh, drinking leftist tears in the entire country. So go over dailywire.com. We'll be right back. The New York Times, this is the most, this is the most, the height of irony, the best story to come out of the New York Times in a while. The New York Times is suing a Manhattan woman for pretending to be a New York Times reporter. So a fake news outlet is suing woman, a, a woman for saying that she, a fake fake reporter. She's a fake, fake journalist, which I think makes her a real journalist, which means she should sue the New York Times for all of their fake news. Uh, this is a lot like Inception. It's a woman named Contessa Bourbon. She's been masquerading as a New York Times reporter at events at the Brookings Institution, on Twitter, throughout social media. She's used it to talk to congressional staff to get into events, and they're very upset because they're saying that this woman is damaging their decent reputation. They're saying that uh, they have a fine reputation in business, and a distinctive quality to their journalism. And I can give everybody listening and, and here a minute to chuckle and guffaw and spit out their drinks very comically before answering this. Roaming, why on earth would anyone want to be associated with the New York Times? That's what I was just wondering myself. I mean, if you're going to go out there and just pretend to be something you're not, why is New York Times reporter yeah, astronaut, the thing you'd want to be? Why, why would you? The New York Times? It's like, yeah, I'm... Uh, I, I'm, I'm an unemployed bum. Yeah, no, I'm an unemployed. I'm going to get sued by the unemployed bum guild in the country. Doesn't make any sense. The Maybe she was hoping that, I guess, internally, their own fact-checking as to who was working for who or who was actually an employee was as vigorous as their 
regular fact-checking for their stories? I don't know. It's, she, a, it's a mystery to us all. She'll probably get promoted. If they use their normal <laughs> fact-checking, she'll probably become at least a, you know, the opinion page editor or something before the year is out. Uh, Mr. Bois, once you have finished uh, laughing and guffawing and comically <laughs> spitting out your drink, doesn't this woman have a strong defense if she pleads insanity? <laughs> well, Michael, I really don't know what's more insane, the fact that the woman was posing as a reporter or the fact that she thought the New York Times was uh, respectable enough to pose as. The place as. to do it. <laughs> so uh, if I were a judge and I heard the insanity plea, I'd be, yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, the fact that, uh, that you thought the New York Times uh, was the organization you were going to pose as, yeah, that's, uh, that's a pretty strong case for insanity. That's fair enough. Now, you've heard it from the, the Supreme Judge himself, Vox Dei, Paul Cardinal Bois. Speaking of the New York Times, on Saturday, Ikao and Yanka, I'm sure I'm triggering people and microaggressing by mispronouncing that, asked in the New York Times, quote, can my children be friends with white people? I'll save you the trouble of reading the piece. No, the answer is no, according to this writer. <laughs> a full-throated defense of uh, racial segregation from this New York Times writer. Uh, Roaming, has the New York Times always been this regressive and ridiculous? Or, you know, uh, as Andrew Clavin says, is it a former newspaper? Did it used to be a good place and then it just recently got hollowed out by crazy leftists? No, you know what, I think, I think the New York Times is in the right in this. I mean, first, you know, black people and white people are being friends, then what's next? You know, uh, black and white married couples, mixed race children, where will it end? Where will I think it the end? New York Times, exactly, they're, they're right in taking a stand against this. Editorial actually, editor you know, George Wallace will not stand for this. Right, but I think it's actually, this is great because for a long time, people on the right, people are who are conservatives have been using the term regressive and actually painting these people for what they are, um, you know, almost pro-racism, pro-segregation. And for a while, frankly, we've looked a little bit crazy, but I think it's coming to the point now where more and more people are starting to realize that there is this underlying narrative of almost anti-whiteness, pro-segregation. They really are in every way regressive in their ideology. And I, I'm actually at least relieved that more and more people are gonna find out about this because of this. And I think the New York Times has remain to too many people a credible outlet, and I think I'm glad this is happening. Mr. Bois, this seems to be a step backward, certainly, for race relations. They seem to have taken a step backward over the last 20 years. Obviously, there are many things that we could blame for this. The left likes to blame white lash, that's their term, a reaction against a black president or black people getting some new rights. The right rightly points to multiculturalism, t t terrible revisionist histories, uh, people being ignorant and being uneducated from secondary schooling through colleges. What is to blame? What cultural factor, what political factor is to blame for the backward step in race relations? It's 50 years of being inundated with uh, identity politics, Michael. I mean, unfortunately, as much as we uh, want to, as much as we revere and rightly revere uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, I'm afraid he is not the one who who he's not who won the uh, the, the the debate cultural on, battle. Uh, yeah, on the cultural battle, he he is not. I, I, the Civil Rights Act passed, yes, and that's a very good thing. But when it came to the actual uh, cultural battle and the views and the way we talk about uh, day to day, I, that went to Malcolm X and and the Black Panthers. That is the predominant view that uh, whites and blacks cannot in any way uh, coexist. Uh, unless there's some serious uh, measure taken on behalf of whites that just, uh, I, I don't even know what it is at, at this point. Um, 
but yeah, that, that's essentially what the view here is. It's, it's the Malcolm X, uh, Black Panther view of race relations that we cannot uh, get along, we cannot recognize each other's uh, humanity. A, uh, I'm completely at a loss, and we can debate it all day long, but really, uh, New York Times and uh, this man who uh, published this piece, which really should be titled, uh, How I T Teach My Son to Be a Racist, uh, there's no way to debate with them. They're lost in a broken ideology, and the only way to defeat them is on the cultural sphere, uh, and that's it. And the left, they just use Martin Luther King's name. They just use his name and they hollow him out. You'll notice they always refer to him as Dr. Martin Luther King, but they don't refer to him as Reverend Martin Luther King, you know, the thing that makes him a doctor. It's not like he's an ophthalmologist, right? He's a, he's a, a <laughs> theologian, he's a preacher, and they take the Jesus out of him. And but there are two figures. There's Martin Luther King, who comes from a Baptist Christian tradition, and there's Malcolm X, who comes from the Nation of Islam tradition, and uh, there's the nonviolence, there's a God who subdues himself to logic and reason, and there's wrath and chickens coming home to roost and violence in the streets. And, and the left, the left uh, always uses Martin Luther King's name, they always use his picture, but in their rhetoric, in their action, in their policy prescription, they certainly seem to side with uh, Malcolm X. They certainly seem to side with the forces of racial division. Amber, can your child be friends with white people? I guess yours can, but it, it is the <laughs> fundamental thesis of this piece. Is there any merit to it at all? The, the thesis that America is so inherently racist and it has never corrected its inherent racism and its inherent oppression and therefore kids need to watch out. Little black kids need to watch out for the cops. They need to watch out for white people who will betray them. Is there any shred of reality to this? No, I don't that there is and unfortunately what we know now is that a lot of racism is learned it's not inherent to individuals and this new york times writer has decided that he's going to teach his children to be racist and to continue this awful trend and there's a famous quote that goes something like the uh, the oppressed eventually become the oppressors in this case i think that's what a lot of the um the regressive left is seeking to do there's so much anger on that side over slavery and and various systemic racism that now their goal is to go ahead and oppress white people in some kind of sixth sense of twisted justice there there is certainly images of this in even columbus day you know on columbus day we talked about the history of mr columbus and the one of the reasons that columbus day became celebrated in the united states it was celebrated in 1892 the 400th anniversary of his expedition but it wasn't celebrated on the 300th anniversary of the expedition. And the reason is that a year earlier, the largest mass lynching in U.S. history uh, was taken up against Sicilians. It was actually Sicilian Americans who were the object of this lynching. Eleven of them were killed. And then Italian Americans pushed for this holiday because Columbus was an Italian guy. He probably wouldn't have called himself Italian. He would have called himself Genovese or Spanish or something. But uh, we, we do see that uh, coming back certainly time and time again. All right, enough of the fake New York Times. I can't, I can't take any more. This is the most New York Times I've read in years, probably. It was too, you Anyone make has stuff. read it all, actually. <laughs> That's true. I am the subscriber. I'm the last subscriber <laughs> to the New York Times. But I'm just kidding. I would never pay them anything. There's another great story that went around Twitter this weekend, which is boycott Keurig. Uh, uh, Americans are boycotting Keurig after a Media Matters Soros-coordinated effort caused the coffee maker to dump Sean Hannity's show. Here's Americans reacting. Well, let's get the smashing, folks. 
good setup, you all get a nice wide stance. Get a good wide stance, take a firm grip, and you want a good full body turn, one piece takeaway so that you can really crush this thing. Now here we go, let's see what we can do with this thing. I believe that'll do it. Wait. Oh boy. Oh. Look what I found. Piece of shit. This is why they cut it off at the end. That's good. This is why you got to subscribe, folks. That was I want to replay that. I'm gonna the whole rest of the day. I'm just gonna be playing that video clip. So Keurig pulls out of Hannity because for no reason, by the way. Hannity gave Roy Moore a fairly tough interview, but uh, they decided to pounce on him at Media Matters, which is a George Soros-funded attack dog group. Um, and now Americans are boycotting. It looks like Keurig may reverse its decision. Roaming, is it distasteful? for conservatives to boycott just like lefties do. It's much funnier. They're much more clever about how they do it. The left is always shrieking, wah, wah, you have to stop buying this product. And meanwhile, the right is like taking golf clubs to it and making funny videos about it. Is it distasteful? <laughs> should we be engaging in these tactics or should we leave coffee unpoliticized? Well, that's a great question. And I firmly believe that coffee should not be political. I don't think, you know, I don't think our ice cream needs to be political. I don't think our clothing needs to be political. But at the same time, we have to ask ourselves, are the consumers the ones who are making this political or is Keurig the one mm. that started making this political by withdrawing their sponsorship? That's a hard question, but I think consumers are totally in the right to support brands who they feel align more with their worldview. And again, I'm not saying that conservatives should be so sensitive and you know these special snowflakes that get mad at brands if they do something they don't like but at the same time you know I don't think Keurig is necessarily the biggest um, culprit of this I think Ben and Jerry's is really the quintessential representative of a lefty company who kind of forces their political views on people in that case, I think it's completely justified and fine for consumers to say, no, I don't want to sponsor this. Mr. Bois, I know that the left is constantly demonizing the evil corporations. Bernie Sanders talked about the millionaires and the billionaires of the corporate class. Is corporate America, does it lean left or does it lean right? Uh, left. I mean, let's just say, okay, they're not full-blown socialists in the sense they want the government to seize control of their operations. They're just crony capitalists. <laughs> yeah, they're just crony capitalists. Uh, but yes, in terms of everything social, yeah, they're pretty left. Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, traditional morality, uh, same-sex marriage, yeah, as far to the left as you can get. Uh, and in terms of abortion, that gets a little bit more uh, dicier, you know, with uh, places like Starbucks and, of course, uh, Target, who are all in for that. Uh, other corporations, maybe uh, not so much. But, I mean, for the most part, yes. Corporate America is against uh, Christians, is against uh, Orthodox Jews, is against anybody who holds anything uh, traditional and uh, doesn't want to get in line with the sexual revolution. So, yep. Sad. I always, I always bring on Paul Bois to cheer me up. You know, yeah. I always just so Paul Bois. It's a nice day out. It's sunshiny, right? It's terrible. All right, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, all right. Well, this this last news. I had to end on a good news story. I had to end on the greatest news story from the entire weekend. It was a single tweet from our dear leader, President Trump, on his Asia trip. <laughs> Quote: This is this is after Kim Jong Un apparently called Trump old. 
our president responded in a very diplomatic, very American way. Why would Kim Jong-un insult me by calling me old when I would never call him short and fat? Oh, well, I try so hard to be his friend, and maybe someday that will happen. <laughs> Amber, uh, the left uh, expectedly went nuts, and which was probably the point of this entire tweet. Is this the greatest moment of Trump's presidency, including the appointment of Neil Gorsuch? Uh, yeah, so when this tweet happened, I was sitting around drinking beers with friends, and I think we all laughed for a solid 20 minutes straight. I mean, it I'm on my third day of laughing. Perfect, <laughs> most perfect backhanded insult you could ever imagine. And the fact that it's from the president just makes it a million times better. This is by far top 10 Donald Trump tweets of all time. You know, they're saying now that he's he's immature and reckless and uh, impulsive because he heard that he called him fat and he just tweeted this out. I, I, clearly, these people have been missing the last two years of Donald Trump's political career, you know, the entirety of his political career. <laughs> it, it, this clearly seems to me to have a strategic advantage, which is that you have to back up American credibility. You have to build American credibility, both in action, both in shows of military force, in shows of diplomatic arrangements, and in the way you speak. So you have this little tin pot, tin pot fat dictator with nuclear weapons in violation <laughs> of countless U.S. and U.N. treaties and resolutions, and he's calling this guy old, and there's our president doesn't blink, calls him short and fat and tells him <laughs> where to go, uh, you know, uh, in not so many words. Roaming and Am I just kidding myself, or is this a strategically smart way to respond to this guy? You know, I'm I, kidding myself. That's fine. I, you don't have to I'm answer. I understand. I'm a fan of Donald Trump's Twitter account. I don't know if this is strategic. It's definitely hilarious, though. And I think, <laughs> you know, there are teenage girls everywhere learning some tips from Donald Trump about how you properly <laughs> conduct a Twitter flame war. It's pretty great. And actually, just before, I think it was after that tweet, he went off on the haters. And I think it's just great that the president of the United States is taking time out of his busy schedule to call out the haters on Twitter. It's great. It, it, it does harken back to, I think it was two years ago, when he said, Happy New Year's to all, even to the losers and the haters. Um, <laughs> he has one of the highest IQs and everybody knows it. Um, but I feel bad for you. It's not your fault that you were born effed up. He used the longer word. That that is that's the president. He obviously he really is a poet in this medium. I'm not being facetious. I'm not being hyperbolic. He uses language in this medium so effectively. Uh, Mr. Bois, is it going to start World War Three? Are we all? Should we just hunker down right now? Uh, I, I'd be hard pressed to say if if if, if a tweet from President Trump. Uh, uh, <laughs> cost World War Three. Aren't I, you going to feel foolish when that building behind you blows up because of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I would feel uh, very, very foolish. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, I, I think this tweet uh, was brilliant. Uh, it's just it's the way you got to deal with uh, men like Kim Jong-un and uh, uh, other men of his caliber is just to, to, to deal with them on their level. And that this is exactly uh, the way to hit it at him and just to show, you know what? You are a small individual on this stage. You are not big and we're not gonna treat you with the level of respect that you think you deserve. I love it. Yeah, I really love it too. I don't. I think it's mature. I think it's strategic. I don't care how absurd roaming millennial thinks I am being right now. So when the bombs start flying, of course, panel, feel free to come hunker down here. I am basically in a cellar. I'm in the cellar of the Ben Shapiro show. So come on down. We'll lock it up. We have endless supplies of Kofefe, obviously, a bunch of MREs and ammo. So feel free to come over here. Panel, always good to see you. Amber Athey from The Daily Caller, roaming millennial from the YouTubes, and his eminence, 
Paul Cardinal Bois. That is our entire show today. Uh, I should point out, if you want to get a little kick, we were talking about Twitter flame wars. Montel Williams uh, tweeted a, an article that I wrote over the weekend. You know, the, he used to be on daytime TV, and he had that show with the psychic and reading DNA results and whatever. And anyway, he tweeted out this article that I said and said it was the least intelligent thing he'd ever read. And so we were going back and forth, and I said, well, you're welcome to come on my show if you'd like to not just insult me, but actually debate the merits of these things. And he totally chickened out. So if you want to send him a little tweet uh, laughing about that, uh, be my guest. It was pretty funny. You can find it on the Twitter timelines. You have to subscribe to the conversation tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've got my nose in the book studying all of the important facts to change your life forever. And I'll see you then. But we'll have a show first. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Come back tomorrow. We'll do it all again. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Marshall Benson. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. And our associate producer is Bailey Lynn. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2017.